Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed, your wildlife photography and outdoor adventure podcast. Today, Michael Morrill, Ron Hayes, and myself, Mark Raycroft, are enjoying a sunny evening in Seward, Alaska, and we are hooking up with friend of the podcast, Ron Niebrugge, again, and have the pleasure of his company. We have some news flashes catching up with him, what he's been up to. I visited him a couple of mornings ago, was out, out for a walk and, and bumped into him and, and there's a lot going on in, in his life that I was excited to re- encourage him to join us on a podcast to catch us up. If you haven't heard Ron's first podcast with us from last July, go back. It's a great listen. Check it out and see his work from there. Ron, it's good to see you again. Uh, thanks. Welcome to, to the back. show. Have you guys over again. Had a lot of fun last time. Yeah. So. Well, I'm glad I got to be here this time. <laughs> I'm Get happy to, to happy yeah, to likewise. sit on this couch with this view any day of the week. <laughs> right on. Yeah, we just watched a bald eagle fly over as we we're getting ready to start. Right over. Yeah. Beautiful. So when we were talking the other day, you had brought up what you've been doing with camera traps mm-hmm. in Arizona. And it was, I mean, yeah. it's a whole new world to me. So from... From scratch, it was super interesting, but you've been refining this, and you're, you were saying that's becoming part of your niche with what you're doing as far as your photography. So I was hoping that you would talk about that to our guests with us. Well, I guess you better set it up, though, because we're going from Arizona to Alaska. Right. And you just said we <laughs> were in Alaska, around. but then now we're in Arizona. So maybe get snapshot into how your yeah your seasons go well, and, and why you're in Alaska now. And we're, we're all together in person, so this is you know something that we always enjoy doing. Skype works great, but to be here in person and... It's better. Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot more fun. Yeah, for sure. Well, to set the backstage a little bit, so Alaska Seward's my home, which is where we're at right now. It's been, we've lived in this house for, I think, 27, 28 years, which is making me seem old, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) now one of the things, and I talked about this a little bit, I think, last July, I started doing is I bought this 10 remote acres north of Tucson in the Tortolina Mountains. Beautiful piece of property, big rocks, big multiple arms, saguaros, lots of really cool wildlife. And I'm building it out as a photography destination. So I have a, an RV that we stay in, an RV, that little Airstream that guests can come stay in. And we have the whole gamut. An experienced photographer. So I've built three different photo blinds, different directions. One's more for mammals, one's more for birds. And I just built this new one with a water, eye-level water table so you can get reflections with birds. And so I just finished that before I left. So it's a photography destination. An experienced photographer could come on their own and, and set up perches and do all their thing and photograph, or they can hire me to uh, help them you know, learn about photography, or I can do workshops, or other people have done workshops there as well. So it's been, and it's a chance to get out of Alaska in the wintertime, so <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. But one of the things I've started doing here lately, and I'm really kind of getting addicted to it, is this camera trapping, because we get a lot of cool mammal activity at night, and bird activity for that matter. I mean, uh, we get gray foxes every night. I don't think there was a night this winter that we didn't get at least a couple. And average, we get like eight visits a night by up to three gray foxes. I don't even know how many are in the area because they look so similar. Skunks most nights, javelinas a lot of nights, bobcats some nights. But we've seen everything from quadamundi to coyotes to deer to ring-tailed cats to raccoons. I mean, the list goes on and one night, I didn't have a camera trap set up, but I always keep trail cams set up just to see what's going on at night. And one night, 15 feet from our RV, a mountain lion walked by. Really? Yeah. 
I check the trail cams every day. A researcher's to- told me that this is mountain lion country. I've seen tracks. I've seen where a mountain lion had killed a deer. So I always kind of figured it's a matter of time. And every morning I go up and I'm looking through the trail cams, flipping through the image, image, image. I'm just like, oh my gosh, what is that? Janine, my wife, I'm like, wh- you know, it's like your first, your brain doesn't even go there. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, it's, it's not a deer or a cow. It's not, I, it's, it's got to be a mountain lion. The thing is huge. And so that's pretty exciting. I'd love to capture one of them on a trail cam. Well, and then you're going to get a jaguar too, right? Well, they're further south, but that would be like the... the oh, no, there's one documented in Arizona. Yeah, well, that's, that's south of us. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. south of him. Oh, gotcha. South of Tucson. It would be down on the border, right? Yeah, More, it mostly. would be more closer yeah. to the border. Yeah. Supposedly, my, a neighbor that lives out there part-time has told me about uh, seeing a black cat up there, and some other people reported seeing a black cat, but... You I have never other, know. It's, you, it's you never not know. out of the realm of possibility. Yep. A biologist buddy that's helped me a whole lot is Bruce Talbert, who's wrote the book on Arizona wildlife photography. He's got a PhD in biology. He says all these reports, there's never actually been photographic evidence, but you you never know. It's like Sasquatch. It's like, exactly. Mm. <laughs> Until you got it, Michael. <laughs> Check out Wild and Exposed Instagram. Or is it, no, it was on your Instagram it's you on, put the proof up. Yeah, oh, like we'll put it on the Wild and Exposed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so one of the things I started doing was this camera trapping, and I'll even do workshops there where people can come bring their camera, and I have the different kinds of triggers and stuff, and we can, you know, I could do a whole teaching thing that afternoon, then we set up their camera on our little water hole, and inevitably you're going to get something at night. I, I think we even have a little guarantee as part of, part of the package. You're going to get a fox or a javelina or something, and usually some people have been getting really cool stuff. One lady got two gray foxes with the full moon above, above the photo. Joe McDonald, who wrote the book on camera trap and I had him out there for a night and uh, he got a, a bobcat diving in and grabbing a live mouse right in front of the water hole and dust kicking up and stuff so there's been some cool stuff mm-hmm. and with me just being there it's fantastic place because not only is there a set not only do I know I'm going to get wildlife but I don't have to worry about things getting stolen I kind of have known distances so I kind of know my flash you know because there's a lot to it you got the different kinds of triggers you got wireless triggers for your flashes. It gets pretty complicated pretty so th- fast. That's what I was going to ask, Ron. For for those that are listening and don't know the difference between a trail cam yeah. and a camera trap, could you just explain the, the major differences? Yeah, so trail cam is kind of a built-in, all-in-one, infrared typically kind of thing. You can get a Cabela's or Bass Pro Shop, and they're pretty neat. They're pretty simple, but you end up with a black-and-white-looking image. Mm-hmm. So the camera trapping is with a real, you know, I use a Canon 5D Mark III typically set up with real flashes, so you get a, 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 you know, basically a real, what I would call real photo. It's not infrared. And so it usually involves some kind of trigger, and there's a few different brands out there that, that, that are usually motion sensitive, or there's like some kind of beam that gets triggered. That triggers your camera, and then in that in turn, if you have wireless, I typically have two or three flashes out there that are also triggered at the same time. And there's a lot of different things you can do. You can vary your exposure. You can do... 20-second exposures and burn-in stars if it's if it's not a bright moon night, or you can do quick exposures and get mini pictures. And and I was telling Mark the other day, some people kind of say, well, it's not real photography. But on the other hand, I would I would argue just the opposite. I have more control over the photographic process than I do with typical wildlife. I mean, a lot of times you're driving around the road in your in your truck and you you see something cool and you grab your camera and you react to it. Where here, I know exactly where the animal's going to be. I know what the background's going to be. I know how the lighting's going to be. So I have total control over the creative process. You know, I could have it in the lower right-hand corner with the stars up here or this saguaro getting lit. And and I think, 
it's becoming more and more popular, and it's such a great way to get close to wildlife. So you don't have to have a 500 f4 or 600 f4. You, it, most of it I, I do with a wide angle from two feet away, just really close, kind of dramatic, maybe looking up at the, even at smaller animals. And I could see, spend a lot more time in it with multiple flashes, maybe lighting back, you know, lightening up swirls in the background. I mean, I, the, the really the, the world is endless because you have so much creative control. As I get better at it and more competent and more comfortable, and and it's fun now. It, now I haven't done it in a couple of months. I'm telling Mark, it would take me an hour or two to re reinitiate it. But when I'm out there doing it on a daily basis, I can be set up in no time at all. I'm like, oh, okay, I need flash set at 132 power and this distance and this stand and here's this and this and the camera and I can you know I can do it pretty quick which makes it kind of fun too well how much trial and error was there for you I mean because that seems like it's it's not this thing that you're going to whip out in one night and that's what's yeah. cool about you having the workshops right so you can learn it but for you you had to be very proficient if you're going to be bringing people in right so yeah what was that learning process like yeah and it's like any type of photography but maybe more so uh you know, you just set up a trigger wrong or you just get a setting wrong or, you know, it just seems like, and you got to test it a bunch, you know, to make sure it's working before you leave. But it's just, I, you know, I had multiple nights early on where one flash didn't go off or uh, an animal knocked over because I didn't have it protected. So a flash got broke, you know, knocked over. And so it, it did take some trial and error. And I would do a lot of try to practice stuff at, at our RV. Like I could set up flashes at night. And I would take a picture of myself crawling on the ground, basically, and right. measure the mm -hmm. distance from the flash and then make notes. It's like, okay, this power at this distance, this power at this distance, and this ISO setting. So I'd have all these notes that I could then kind of apply into the field. But there's still nothing like when you actually, you know, set it all up and then, oops, that, that tree is making a little bit of shadow here and, and uh, that kind of thing. So it is, it, it is a bit of a learning process, and it, or you get – too low and every little mouse and every little bee was triggering the thing or then it's too high or not sensitive enough and I'm not I'm missing stuff so I'd always set up my trail cam usually further back and up uh, in conjunction with my camera trap so I knew if I missed stuff mm -hmm. or not you That's know smart. so you could be like oh gosh <laughs> an animal like what one of my problems was is they were some of the wildlife was a little jumpy with the flashes and the more I read it sounds like getting them up and out of the way uh, seems to See, they, they don't like the flash down low and close, which is what I would do is real low power, down low and kind of close. And once I made a little bit more powerful flash and brought them back and up, they seem to accept it more. So hmm. Now, um, do these flashes have to be the brand of the camera to make it all work right? Or is this all these triggers work? Is know, it the trigger system that makes it all work? Yeah, you know what's interesting is most flashes fall asleep after an hour and they don't turn back on. And they don't, the battery life isn't, isn't very good in these things. So most people use these Nikon SB28s. And that's what I have, even though I'm shooting Canon. Cause, and they're actually kind of a highly sought-after flash. You I've find them on that. eBay. And they're like 70 bucks for a, probably more than when they were brand new. So, for that, so it's a great question. Now there's some people that now there's some triggers coming out now that are doing some stuff keeping the flashes alive and that kind of thing. But if you, especially if you want to set up a camera trap for a week at a time, you pretty much need this Nikon SB28, or there's some aftermarket. There's like a really high-end, you know, $400 flash made just for that purpose. Now there's some some products coming out, but uh, but that's a great question. Typically, your normal flash, and that was a part of the learning process too. Well, I'm imagining. You know, I'm yeah. like I tested everything worked, and then one animal walked by and it worked, and then now I have a bunch of black pictures, and the, you know, and it's like, oh, my flashes fell asleep, or one fell asleep, and then the other one fell asleep, and. 
I can see the argument being, you know, you talked about people saying it wasn't real photography. I can see the argument being that you're not there pushing the shutter while the action's taking place. Yeah. But technically, you've got to be pretty far advanced to be able to, to do this successfully. And if you look at, you know, just as a for instance, uh, the Snow Leopard images that National Geographic publishes, probably 80 to 90% of the Snow Leopard images that get published in National Geographic are from camera traps. Mm-hmm. I mean, they find an active trail, mm-hmm. and and that's where they place those traps, because otherwise you, you may never get the image. They don't call them a ghost cat for nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, And there's a lot of animals in the desert that are nocturnal just because of the heat during the day. Uh-huh. So that gives you opportunities that other photographers wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly right. And, and, and I've experimented with different, and, and so is this uh, Bruce that I talked about. He's, he's big in the camera trapping, too. And he's experimented with, like, uh, an IR infrared light monitor where he could sit back a 1,000 feet and, and trigger his camera. Mm-hmm. And, and I've done a little bit, with, and I've got a pretty neat picture at sunset with my Canon. It has, a, it has an app that I can adjust the settings the, and see the live view on my iPhone. But you, it, but it's limited to, I think Bluetooth. It's limited mm-hmm. about 100 feet. It's not real far. So I was able to sit up with some of the animals like the fox, which are pretty comfortable, and I could do some photography that way. And that was a great way because I'm not over flashing. I could really minimize the number of flashes that go off. I, and I don't like to do too much flashing anyway. So if, I usually take a picture like once every eight seconds. I don't want to be like a disco, bam, bam, bam. You know, yeah. I don't want to. Like I don't want that. In fact, I'm glad in a way my mountain lion. I, didn't, I wasn't set up for the first time the mountain lion visited because I almost didn't want that potentially adverse experience, you know, to be mm-hmm. there. So with uh, to be able to monitor, then I could really wait for him. You know, he's getting a drink. Oh, looks up, click, just got that one picture. The flash went off only once versus every eight seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that would be the best of all worlds. But but this is working while I'm sleeping too. Right. And then during the, another thing I think that that I've been doing a lot more of is daytime with birds, birds on perches. I got a pretty neat picture of a Gila monster coming in to get a drink of water. In fact, the biologist that uh, I showed it to, he's like, can I send this to my friends? Because we didn't even really know that they came in and drank like this. And I got them just mouth wide open, just diving straight into the water. That's awesome. But I've been setting it up during the daytime with a couple flashes, like really tight on a choya cactus with the wide angle lens with the swirls in the background and just, you know, getting them coming in, landing with the wings out outstretched and i think there's a lot of potential too for creative and there it is a little easier to you could have a pocket wizard or some kind of trigger mm-hmm. and be sitting in the blind and firing it as stuff comes in but then i find i'm working and doing a lot of stuff sometimes i'll just put a a trigger on it set everything up have the trigger pointing up right in front of the the perch and get the birds coming in so i think you know that's where there's a whole other realm of possible cool applications getting quail coming down a trail mm-hmm. you know in areas that you just couldn't even put a camera or normally be sitting you know i think mean, i i think that i think that the creative possibilities are endless and i think we're just starting to see a lot of the cool stuff that's coming with camera trapping and i think i think that we're going to see some really cool stuff in the future and when you're talking about the trigger you're talking about you know basically just a beam that gets cut by the animal yeah. as it crosses or yeah and there's a couple different kinds uh there's a company cogs or there's a Chem Traptions makes one that's kind of more like a motion sensor that your lights use. They call that a PIR, or passive mm-hmm. infrared. Uh, then there's some that, like, you can use a simple, like a Pluto makes this $100 trigger, which is pretty fun. It does 
uh, lightning and a bunch of other stuff. And it's got a little trigger. It's got infrared and it's got a laser trigger you could use. And then the other one I've been using is this called a Sabre by Cogsys. I think I'm saying that right. And it's got a lot of what's called LiDAR. And LiDAR is like a sophisticated trigger. And what I could do is say, okay, only trigger from three feet from the device to five feet. So if something's six feet away, it won't trigger. And if something's two feet away, it won't trigger. So it's sophisticated enough to measure the distance and trigger in a certain area. That way you're not wasting pictures and flashing and making noise on animals that are too close or out of the scene or not in the perfect spot. Out of the focal plane. Yeah. And I haven't done, gone this far, but you can even use two of them, and you can have it set up so it triggers only the camera when, when A's been triggered and then B subsequent, so you're only getting pictures of animals walking towards the camera instead of away, which is a other common camera trapping. <laughs> it's like you get a lot of animal butts basically walking <laughs> away. So, um, so there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of cool things. So there are different kinds of triggers, and... Of course, they cost different amounts of money and, and last, you know, there's all, tr all these trade-offs and cost and battery life, like, mm -hmm. that, like that fancy Sabre thing. It doesn't have a super long battery life, which is fine for me. I'm, I'm taking it down every day, so I, I'm, I could recharge it every day. But if you're setting it up for a week in the mountains, that, that one doesn't work. A little simple thing that lasts for a couple of weeks is, is different. So there's all mm -hmm. these different trade-offs, too. But uh, Well, I was going to ask you about that, too, with power re requirements. I mean, I would think some things are going to... I mean, I guess you could have a little solar with a little battery that attaches to this. Yeah. I mean, it could go, it could be endless, right? It can. And those guys that do it like that and put remote stations, and I want to get a little bit more of that because where my property is. All right. This cool stuff's happening way up the canyon where there's no people, you know, where I'd love to just leave a camera up there. And so most of it's set up like the, the Nikons, you know, if you set them up right in this, this camcraption trigger out of, out of England, you know, you could get a good week easy with that set up with a typical camera. You know, and a lot of times people use just a Canon Rebel or something that's not super expensive if it gets destroyed. And so a week or you could definitely set up for a week fairly easily. Now, some of these people that do multiple weeks or months, then it starts getting, you know, then they start getting a 12-volt car battery right. maybe and a, and a mm -hmm. little s solar charger and, and, and you and know and then you probably have to put your camera in some sort of pelican case where you yep. cut a hole or you yep. know because you want that kind of protected too right yep exactly like in my water hole i have a nice little wooden i have a like i build a, i call it a wall i literally build this wall thing it's like a three foot high wall with a, a wooden box around it with a lid that pops up and I slide that in when I'm not doing regular photography because that forces the animals then to only walk up and water from the one side. Because otherwise, like the fox, they just jump over rocks and they'll go, they'll stand on your camera and take a drink. I mean, they'll, they'll go anywhere. So at my place, I don't have to get into a whole bunch of fancy boxes and all that kind of stuff like you would remotely. Right, right. Like I know on one of the Antarctica trips, there's a guy, Tom Hartz, who does a lot of research out of Oxford. He was setting up. Uh, time-lapse cameras like on St. Andrews and some of these uh, in South Georgia where they would be there for months. And I think they were even set up to go all all winter, you know, and it was pretty sophisticated with the big batteries and the solar panel and, the, and a big post put into the ground and stuff. So, I mean, there's a, there's a wide range of, a wide range of, wide, wide range of possibilities. And that's one thing about my property. It's like, boom, I'm just right there. I can just set it up overnight, take it back down overnight. It's, you know, I simplify a lot of that stuff. But the cool thing is, is it's right there, right? So yeah. you can check it and you can spend a year figuring it out, perfecting it, yeah. right? Yeah. And then you can take that technology and you can bring it up here to Alaska 
and you might be able to go find a bear den or you might be able mm-hmm. to go find a loon nest yeah, or yeah. you might be able yep. to go find who knows what yeah it's got to be something you got to kind of count on yep right right that's kind of the one determining factor kind of or it could be something you really roll the dice on like maybe you go down to southern arizona where there's room you know these rumors of jaguar jaguar or something <laughs> You know, maybe so. So yes and no. Like it's kind of neat to have the sure thing or something that's pretty, log- you know, likely. But then on the other hand, put a camera down there in some real remote place for a month and hope you get Bigfoot or something. You know, I guess it's, if you're gonna. Well, roll if the you do, you're done, right? You, you exactly. Can <laughs> <laughs> you're you're can, set. You can check out. <laughs> you could. You're set for life. <laughs> Although I think you would be the person that would constantly go out and you know, keep you, after it. You'd right? have to get a better picture of Bigfoot. You right. Know, after you got right. the first one. We know that feeling. Yes, not with Bigfoot, but with everything else we do. Yeah, of course. I'm sure it's the same with Bigfoot if I ever got a photo of it. (laughs) (laughs) So that was going to be my thing. I mean, so you've got it. You've perfected it. Are you, you said you're going to take it further off into your property, but are you going to go down it now that you've kind of figured it out? Oh, I might try that in Southern Arizona, or you might try it up here in Alaska. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. And right now I don't have enough flashes. I don't have enough. Don't have so it's the equipment. Resources. Yeah, but I definitely, you know, I would love to get a second setup that I could just, like, I always want one setup on my property because there's this always cool stuff, but it'd be nice to have enough resources to have a second one. Like, our property's pretty steep. It's got a big mountainside, but up at the top of the ridge line, which is, you know, it's a 600 vertical feet or something above my RV spot, there's cool game trails there, and I've seen deer and different animals go up the little gully and up to that ridge line and stuff. So there's a few places that I'm like, I know, like, a lot of javelinas walk along that for sure, and mm-hmm. I've seen deer. And so where those animals walk, you know, predators predators are walking as right. well. Right, There's been some really interesting things, too, that have happened. I'm surprised how many animals sh- travel kind of together or share the water hole at the same time. And at first, I used to have the trail cam right by the water. And at, like, 908, there'd be a fox. 909, there'd be a skunk. 910, there'd be a fox again. And I'm like, what's going on? I finally would move the cameras back, get a wider view. And it's not uncommon for the skunks to show up with a wide range of animals, especially the fox. They'll come in and drink at the same time and practically leave at the same time, which is Mm. really interesting. And supposedly the skunks don't have really any natural predators outside from what I've read as as the great horned owl because they can't smell. But I've seen the the fox arrive with javelinas. I've seen skunks arrive with all kinds of different animals. I've seen, and at night times sometimes we'll get these... uh, We'll get three different kinds of species of owls that will come in and take baths in the water hole. I've gotten some neat pictures of, of the owls coming in there as well. But I've seen, I think it was one day, a red-tailed hawk. or I think it was a red-tailed hawk. Maybe it was a great horned owl. I might be mixing it up. And the fox. And they must have been like a foot apart just looking at each other. It's almost kind of like trying to size each other up. Like, I think I could take them, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's been all this really cool interaction that I had no idea existed I right think and you know it goes on everywhere right everywhere all the time you're just happening now you we have the technology so, and you're actually doing it so uh-huh. you can actually see that see it and i'm not you know and i'm i'm quiet i'm away from it so I'll, you know my human presence isn't spooking them and and so you're getting this natural behavior that mm-hmm. i probably wouldn't witness otherwise so it's great research great reconnaissance without you being there when you remove the person you'll mm-hmm. you'll see far more right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. not only that but this the skill to set this up and it is trending Mm-hmm. I see it more and more often, these low-angle camera traps of, yep. of especially shy species. Mm-hmm. 
So I, that's great what you're doing. Yeah, so I'm excited. I'm, I, I, in fact, I, you know, I'm, I, I leave the trail cam set up when I'm gone, and we're going to go down in August and just make sure my water feeder and I have an automatic feeder going and my water system, so the feeder for the birds and then the water. And I want to make sure it's all working. And I can't wait to check the trail cams while I'm gone. I need to set it up so I have some kind of webcam that I can monitor. I just I'm working on the getting the final touches on that so I could have uh, internet out there. That's but ideal, right? Yeah, yeah. Depending my, on the area that you're putting them in, that you know having the like you said you set the trail cams up a little bit higher, mm-hmm. having a spy point trail cam that'll send you the image. Yeah. To your phone, you know, especially when you're not there. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be that fantastic. Would be ideal. Yeah, it'd be fun even just to link it to my website. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, I I go to other websites where that that happens and checks on check on things. You know, and so I would be totally hooked on that. And what and then one or of YouTube the, channel or yeah, right? Oh, that's right. Daily, yeah. What's going on at the <laughs> <laughs> at the desert photo retreat? <laughs> it would be amazing. It would be kind of cool. So um, we don't have internet out there, but I think I've got a, enough bugs. I think I can do a thing with the sale with a MiFi device and the cell thing and, and cameras. I think I've mm-hmm. gotten enough of the bugs figured out I, that I, I can't wait to try to set get it up. I might even, done, huh? yeah, if I could get it done. Um, even if I'm the only one that's checking it, it you know, my wife's not wild about it. Cause she's like, you're going to notice something happen. Like the water's not working. You're going to want to fly down there immediately. And <laughs> <laughs> there is that side of it, right? <laughs> there is. And I'm like, yeah, but at least I would know and I could fix it. <laughs> so it could get expensive if things went awry or, <laughs> or if a mountain lion started showing up regularly or something like that. I'd be like, oh my gosh, we got to get down there. So right. <laughs> it's an exciting project. Yeah. And clearly you've learned a lot. Yeah. So I'm excited. And then I was mentioning to Mark and there's some also... So I've started experimenting with mirrorless cameras, and, you know, they have a silent mode. I think one of the biggest, and people have said this, that the flash isn't really what bothers them because they're used to lightning strikes and this and that, and they get pretty used to the flash. But when you got a, the camera just two feet away clicking. That mirror slap is Yeah, that mirror, spooky. yeah. Even in the Canon sli- silent, quote, silent mode, it's still fairly loud, especially at 2 in the morning when there's nothing else out there. I mean, to, an, to a fox, it's got to sound really loud when mm-hmm. they can hear a, you know, a little mouse walking around. So these mirrorless that, that have that silence mode, I mean, I think that's going to also be a game changer. I mean, they don't, they don't make a, a bit of noise, you know. So mm-hmm. just a little bit of flash, and, and so I'm, I'm excited to try, try out some of these. Uh, well, are you a Canon guy or an Nikon guy or what so were you? So I'm a Canon guy. So uh, would you then go to the Canon mirrorless just because you have the Canon glass? Yeah, and that's, a, you know, it's interesting talking to uh, Joe McDonald. He, when he was out at our property, he had just tried out Olympus and was making the switch to this, this four-third system with Olympus and was going on and on about it. And I've always known they had the, fall, the small form factor size. You know, that certainly was an advantage. But there's so many other features that I wasn't aware of, like this, uh, they call it Pro Capture. To me, it's, it's like a little time machine. It's cheating. Basically, if you're not <laughs> familiar with it, if, say, I'm watching a bird on a perch, I can aim the camera at it, focus, hold the shutter halfway down, and when the bird takes off, I hit the trigger, and it goes back in time 36 frames. So it's constantly buffering. Video cameras have that capability. It's constantly buffering 36 frames in the memory when you hit replacing the 36 with the newest, you know, and so forth, and then when you hit the trigger, it writes all those to your, your memory card. And I was playing around with it with our swallows flying in and out of the box of Stone Mark. It's like... I had to retrain myself because I was so used to anticipating the animal and like, here it comes, here it comes, click. And I realized I clicked a little premature, and so I had 36 pictures of nothing. Right. I really had to wait for the bird to land and go into the box and then click. And then I could back up, back up, back up and get the bird in the different positions and the wing in the different positions. It's like 
it's it's cheating. This is it's, the first I've heard of this. Yeah, other I, than two two mornings two, 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 ago, and I wasn't with familiar you, with it. You know, I get gear that works for me, and I don't. I'm not a real gear nut, so I don't keep up on a lot of that stuff. It's got this pro pro capture mode, I think, where it's basically overriding images and taking the brightest pixel from each image, and and it's kind of like when you do layers in Photoshop and you blend by lighter. It's basically taking the brighter pixel and overriding it and stacking the images as you so you can basically create star trails with a single image. And I think, and I haven't tried it because I haven't, haven't had any darkness since, but I think you could pick your exposure when you're doing auroras. You could be holding it down and basically, okay, that's good. Because aurora, the exposures can change mm -hmm. drastically from one second to another if it flares up or flares down. So there's all these features besides the small form factor. So anyway, Olympus has loaned me a body and a, and a number of lenses to try out over the summer. So I took them to this bear lodge I just was at two weeks ago. They FedExed it up to me, and I just got it right before the trip, so I barely had a chance to even read the manual. I left all my Canon gear behind because I didn't want to uh, <laughs> fall back on that. I had experimented with Sony a couple years ago, and I think that was one of the downfalls is that I was on an, on an Antarctica trip, and I just kept, you know, it's like, oh, I could grab the Sony. Ah, oh, the Canon, it just feels good in my hand. I know that dial in the back, and I just always fell back on the old reliable. So I didn't even, I left the old reliable at home. And uh, so far, I'm, I'm sold. I'm probably going to make the switch. I mean, my, I'm walking around with a 600 F4 and a camera dangling around my neck. You know, right, it's, right. It's, 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 the minimum focus distance is crazy short. The flip, all these little things that flip up screen on the back, a lot of it, you know, the, it, the Canon just doesn't have that stuff, but it's been in other cameras for a long time. But to be able to flip up the screen and focus, gosh, 10 feet away with a equivalent of a 600 f4 and i mean the bodies five-way body stabilization so the body stabilization is crazy you know how stable it is so so the micro four-thirds sensor doubles your focal length yep. right it's two to one exactly so if you have a 300 you're getting 600 you're getting 600 now there's some depth of field trade-off so the 600 f4 i think has a little more depth of field than than a full frame 600 f4 and i can't tell you why but mm -hmm. there's, there's a little bit of trade-off there when you want those pure out-of-focus backgrounds. And I don't know what the if it's like a 5.6 equivalent or something, but I know there's a little bit of a, a trade-off there. A little bit of a trade-off when it comes to noise with the smaller sensor. Mm -hmm. um, and those are things I haven't experienced yet because I've, I've only had a couple weeks and it's been bright, hot, sunny weather here in Alaska, which we're not used to. I'm used to low light. So I have a couple question marks. I think I'm going to make the switch, even if I ended up holding on to a Canon for night stuff. Uh, with some night lenses for Aurora and for camera trapping. But my, but everything I've heard is that even the Olympus does great at that stuff, and I'll probably end up making the full switch. It even has a high-res mode where, at a very rapid pace, the, sh the, the sensor shifts around as you take a picture. So you, you create a 50-megapixel picture in, in just a short period of time. So it doesn't work on moving water or ocean, but if it's a non-moving subject, it, it does this high-res. I mean, it does so many different things that I've... That yeah, all these features besides just being small. So I'm pretty excited about it. Joe McDonald, he was just like a kid in the candy store. He's like, oh, my God, this is so fun. I'm just, you know, he was just going on and on. And now I kind of get it. There's a lot of cool things that, and then walking around in the field, the 150 to, the, the 80 to 150, which is equivalent, or 40 to 150 lens, which is equivalent of 80 to 300, I mean, it's, it's it's so tiny. It's a joke. Don't you feel like you're out there like mm, I don't? Uh, yeah, yep. this is not right. It's not right. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna miss everything. It's, it feels like you're cheating. Up and, and you don't. There's a little bit of that where you know there was something about a 500 f4 that just gives you instant 
uh, credibility, sort to speak, for lack of a, you know, but on the other hand, I always got embarrassed pulling out that big lens, and I was always a little bit self-conscious, where this, I can just be kind of incognito. Um, now, if I was doing a photo shoot for a magazine or something, I, I, I would almost feel like I'd have to explain. It's like, no, this is actually, <laughs> this, is a, this isn't just a toy lens that you're, you know, this is the real deal, but there's some credibility that comes with the big old monster mm -hmm. lens that takes a lot of work to haul around. Well, it's changing both ways, I think, because it is that. I think with clients, you're worried that they're going to be like, hmm. Yeah. This guy brought his Cracker Jack yeah, camera. My aunt, but then has that same, yeah, something similar, but yeah. Back in the day, if I, if you weren't shooting with a big, huge beta cam video camera, uh -huh. you were nobody. Uh -huh. Nowadays, you can roll in with an iPhone and say uh -huh. you're doing a video shoot, and everybody's like, okay, <laughs> come on in, <laughs> you know? And so that perception's changed where, with video, it doesn't, as long as you can tell a story and you're going to shoot for somebody credible, uh -huh. it's all good. It's coming along. And a lot of people have asked me about the quality and how does it compare to my Canon 5D Mark IV, for example. And to me, it's not, well, it's not going to probably compare. I haven't done side-by-sides, but I don't expect it to be as good image quality-wise because it is a smaller sensor. You know, there's going to be a little bit of a trade-off there, but it's plenty good enough. And I mean, I've sold a thousands of photos with a Canon 1DS, the original 1DS, which was 11 megapixels. And, you know, the 1DS Mark II, I mean... Good enough, you know, there's became a point where, you know, it's 22 megapixels, the camera I'm using now. You know, there's, I've always kind of felt like 20-something megapixels was really the sp sweet spot for me. After that point, I was hoping that manufacturers would work more on noise reduction and all these other things, features, instead of doing 50 or 100 megapixels. I understand from a marking perspective, more megapixels probably help sell cameras. So for me, you know what, frankly, for a lot of what I'm doing, promoting tours and workshops and small prints, and, uh, the iPhone is good enough. The iPhone's plenty, plenty good enough. This camera's better than the iPhone. You know, it's got a bigger sensor and a lot more features than the iPhone. You know, so if you look at it from that perspective, it's certainly plenty adequate for, I think, most people's needs. And I think people get too caught up in, well, how does it compare to the Nikon 850, you know, or, or, or this and that? And it's like, well, it's probably not going to, when you, if you're pic, pic, pixel peeping or whatever at a night scene with a high ISO or something, it's, it's probably not as good. But I think it's good, en it's good enough. And for all the other reasons, all these other features, and then the mobility, going to Africa or Antarctica where you're so limited by weight or on the, like Antarctica trips mm -hmm. where I'm a guide and I'm driving a Zodiac, it's hard for me to, to be driving a Zodiac and looking out for clients and then be pulling out a big lens and it looks like, you know, you're really self-serving where here if I could just have a little thing around my neck and just kind of pop it up and grab a picture, you know. So for me, it's so freeing for the, for the flexibility and, and the, God, I can't, I'm, I'm almost looking forward to the next time I go flying somewhere because <laughs> <laughs> right. I have a small backpack, you know, I mean, you know where, where now it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm stressed about overheads and I got to get on early and, right. you know, all that stuff, which right. is pretty much out the window. <laughs> so with this new camera and doing that, say, pre-record, pre yeah. yeah. do you think your technology with your camera traps would be able to tap into that? Because you said yeah. you had to hold the button down halfway, right? You do. I don't think it would. You wouldn't be able to you'd, schedule. Yeah. You'd struggle with, because you couldn't fire the flash until. Yeah. And you're still limited when the flash goes off, that kind of thing. So I don't know that would help there. I think there's some, maybe some merit to this pro comp where it piles up the exposure where maybe I could do an animal with a star trail overhead or, or burn in stars more with, with the flash and then just keep exposing for the rest. I think there's some potential with that feature that I haven't had a chance to explore. 
the back and up. Now, maybe with the during the daytime stuff when the birds are coming in and landing on a perch. The night stuff where you need the flash for sure. Not, not going to work. Yeah, but maybe coming in on the perch. Yeah, that could that could. That could certainly be a thing. Now, the one drawback is it's taking 35 pictures. I think you can set it for 15 as well, a slower mode. So every time a bird comes and takes off, every time it triggers your trigger, that's 15 or 36 pictures. So, I mean, before you know it, you're going to have 1,000 camera trapping. You already end up with a bunch of junk to go through. You know, multiply that by 35, you know, and it right. might be, might just, but the, no, but there's certainly a merit. There's certainly a case for that. Because like a wide angle with a bird on a perch, you know, because a lot of times it's hard to get the precise focus because you've got really narrowed up the field. You know, I'm like, darn it, I wish it would have triggered just a little sooner or a little further back. That would have been a killer picture. And I've thrown a lot of them away. I'm like, oh, I need to move the trigger a little bit closer back, you know, fine tune that trigger pace placement where that feature, like for daytime for birds, might not be as important if you're not using flash because right. you could be like, oh, I, I'll just back up to. There it is. Perfect. That's in focus and the wings are outstretched. So. Certainly, that's a uh, potential. Yeah, and then that's really like video because 30 yeah, frames is. a second, I mean, you're going to get, it's you should get that picture perfect. Right, and I think that thing in electronic mode shoots 50 frames a second. I mean, that's like, I mean, that's faster than video. I mean, effectively, you're a video camera, you know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that camera probably does shoot video too, right? It does, yeah. It'll shoot 4K video. Um, yeah, so anyway, I'm excited. What's, I'm what's the model of this Olympus camera? Ooh. It's the one. <laughs> it's the one. The it's. Do the they have more than one mirrorless? They they have a they have a few of them, and it's the latest one out, and it has the battery grip on it. And I want to say all these cameras. I think it's the One X, One MX. One MX. Yeah, it's I could I could go look on the strap. And, you know, all these camera companies make the names so we'll look complicated. It up. Yeah. For Olympus, then price point wise, just for our audience, yeah. you know, one of the questions that came to my mind: What's this setup look like as far as cost? Yeah. Now the now that's one of the drawbacks of the Olympus. I think compared to Panasonic and some of the other four third systems. Now the other advantage of the four third systems is the lenses are all interchangeable. Like I could buy a Panasonic lens, so there's more lens choices than you see on some of the other more proprietary sizes. I think this latest body is three grand, which is which is on the high side. I think mo the Olympus. I think the Panasonic's more in the $1,600 range. So to me, but, but coming from Canon, Nikon right. landscape, three grand didn't seem bad. So I'm going to pay more than that for the 5D5 or whenever it comes out. You know, So in comparison, it didn't seem bad. Now, if you're just shopping and you're just new to the four-thirds market, it's definitely the most expensive. But I think it's, the, you know, also for me, I'm not going to look to save 500 bucks and lose out on some features. You know, it's, it's my livelihood. So mm -hmm. I, I, I want the, the best features are most important. Of course. But I've paid eight grand for oh, sure. Canon 1DS and stuff. So so to me, it didn't seem that bad. But to others, that, that is a little bit of a drawback. And the glass, price point-wise, is it comparable? Yeah, it's cheaper by and large, and I haven't bought any. So I don't. But I think it's $1,500 range for the, okay. for the pro line. Um, I mean, they're very gracious enough to loan so me some. So I haven't. It is comparable. Yeah, I mean, so if you think of the 850 and the D850 for Nikon, not being mirrorless, of course. Mm -hmm. you know, But you know what people are going to spend on a good setup. The pro quality images and results these days. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's in the ballpark. Now the 300 f4, which is equivalent of 600 f4. I don't, I don't know the price on that, but I want to say it's a couple thousand dollars. It's certainly much cheaper than the equivalent, but then it's a much smaller. It should be because it's a lot less glass, a lot less complicated. Um, right. So there's it's, savings is in the lenses. I you think. know, historically there was something about the big lens show and tell looking like a professional, but yeah. I didn't mind for the longest time just using the Nikon two to four hundred and not standing out in the crowd. Uh -huh. You know, and nowadays with the lenses being lighter, not needing a tripod, being more mobile, uh -huh. you will 
from all my experience, get better results uh-huh. more consistently uh-huh. with this smaller glass. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and then just the travel component, as you alluded to, so it makes logical sense. I had some people in the last workshop that had big Canon glass and were setting up their tripod and trying to get the Wimberley head balanced, as, and I'd already grabbed off, you know. It's yeah. like, oh, my gosh, the, the Cubs are playing or something. I'm like, that's cool, click, click, click. And you look over, did you get that? And, like, they're still mm-hmm. extending the leg, you know. And it's like, whoops, so you, I'll, be, I'll be quiet, you know. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's the modern technology. That's why, you know, people who are serious about it and want to spend the time on these trips and, and the money on it, it you know, uh-huh. they should invest in it. Mm-hmm. So you're pretty convinced, mirrorless. But Any of these what brands. about yeah. yeah? What about I, the other brands? Like you said, you've tried the Sony, but then there's this new Canon, right? Which isn't quite up to snuff yet, but probably the next body will be. Probably there's, can, there's Fuji. We interviewed a guy about Fuji, yeah. and it sounded. I mean, he had the same response yeah. about Fuji that you're having for Olympus, and and I think it's just kind of what you get dialed into the first because you're like, oh wow, these cameras. Yeah. So it almost. I guess my question is, is I think they're all really good. Yeah. But then how do you figure out which one of those has it? Well, this Olympus has a couple of features I have not heard about before. Well, that's true, one. like that Pro Capture. Right. I think the Fuji has that, and I'm not so sure that the Panasonic does have that. Now, I think Olympus was the first one to come out with some of these features. Okay. And their state-of-the-art body was, was in 2016, so it had become a dated, and a few of these other companies had kind of caught up in some of those features, and now Olympus has come out with this, with this latest body, which I think has... From what I've read, has jumped ahead of the pack for the time being, but kind of like Canon and Nikon, I could. I, I mean, I think, and and I don't. I'm not going to defend that if people are, are writing comments right now. Um, certainly, I've had people with the with the Fuji T3 or with something three, and it's a fantastic camera as well. And I know that the the Lumix seems like a fantastic camera as well. And I don't know. And I'm not doing side by side testing or anything like that. Okay. You know, I've read a lot of reviews that kind of have pointing to the Olympus maybe being the best one right now, but that could certainly change. The one thing about the Olympus and the Lumix Panasonic is they are the four-third system, and I think you have a lot more lens choices, where the Fuji, you don't get the two-to-one multiplier. It's a little bigger sensor, so there's probably some advantages to that. I think there's also some disadvantages when it comes to lens selection. I kind of felt like if I'm going to go mirrorless and go smaller form factor, I might as well go all in and go f- go even smaller. So I think the, the Fuji is a one5 multiplier versus the two to one and i think you are limited on lens choices to the fuji although fuji makes fantastic lenses so uh, you know that may not be a drawback but i am not really you know i'm kind of like mark a lot of these features until i ran into joe mcdonald i'm like that's a thing that you know (laughs) that's sure that's an option i need i need that you know and then i started looking into it doing a little research and i'm like wow i am way behind the curve on a lot of this stuff canon i think unfortunately on their mirror list they don't have any of these features um, mm-hmm. And then, when, and then Olympus offered uh, loan me when that kind of made that tilt, tilt the, you know the, that tilted the playing field in that in their favor, of course. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. Does that body have in-body stabilization or in-camera it, stabilization yes. as well as lens? It does, and that was one of the advantages I think over the Panasonic, is it has a five-axis in-body stabilization, so all your lenses are stabilized. Then they also have lens stabilization that will work in conjunction with the body stabilization. So it really is amazingly stable. And, it, you know, like for a telephoto lens, it's amazing. It's amazingly stable. So here's a little test I did the other day. Yeah. <laughs> so I shoot the 1DX a lot uh-huh. for commercial jobs. 
and I'll shoot, and I'm shooting a lot of video, right? Mm -hmm. So, but I can use it for stills, so it's really kind of cool, right? Because yep. I can get everything I want. Canon makes the 24 to 105 yep. image stabilized f4, right? Yeah, use it all the time. Yeah, exactly. So I use that to shoot video all the time, and I can make that pretty darn steady just handheld. If somebody's like, "Hey, we should shoot some video of this," uh -huh. I know I'm very confident that it's not going to be tripod quality. It's not going to be like it's going to be good. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be like perfect, mm -hmm. but it'll work. Where so the other day I was out with my Sony, and what happened was is United lost my luggage. And my Ronin, which I normally shoot the, the Sony on a Ronin, so I have it image stabilized uh -huh. because of the gimbal. Uh -huh. It didn't show up. Well, I had to shoot the day when I didn't have my luggage. So, and I didn't bring the Canon because I thought, well, I have my Ronin. Uh -huh. Well, the luggage doesn't show up, so now I have to shoot the Sony handheld. Uh -huh. And I'm thinking, oh, it should be just as good. Uh -huh. Not even close. Really? Not even close. The image stabilization in that Sony, I couldn't. Now... It's, I only used it once, and mm -hmm. I tried to make it work. And I think Sony has the in-body stabilization as well as the lens, I think. But I compared the footage, you know, to what I could do with uh -huh. the Canon, and it wasn't, wasn't even close with the Sony system. Yeah. But when you put it, I mean, just to qualify that too, the next day you put it on the Ronin, and that system worked. The oh, Sony it's on beautiful. The beautiful. Yeah. Like that's yeah. what I'm shooting here sure. in Alaska. I'm yeah. shooting all Sony on the Ronin. And it's just a small form factor, which the mirrorless uh -huh, is, uh -huh. and then it's less weight on that little Ronin. And now I've had a couple other people that were inter Jim Griggs out of Kansas, another person that come to our property with the Olympus and was really excited about it, and he was having me handhold it, as well as my experience here recently. And I thought the image stabilization was better than what I could do with the twenty four one hundred five. Oh, good. I thought it was I thought it was incredible, and I've seen some pictures online with with a moderate telephoto taken like in a 15th of a second handheld that were then they zoom in and they're incredibly sharp i thought i'm like because i got the little little gimbal stabilizer for my iphone you know that i'll run around with and i'm like gosh i would almost get the same quality as i could with that little that little gimbal stabilizer on my phone i felt like it really did a great job at stabilizing how's the autofocus uh with video i don't know the autofocus now, that was my other concern, and I got some pretty cool photos of Puffins in, in flight uh, from a boat that were sharp, that I zoomed in. In fact, I'm going to put one on the blog tomorrow, where I zoom in on the eye, which I had trouble with the Canon doing that in the past. With the, I don't think their autofocus is as good as, say, Nikon's. I think that the Olympus was every good, if not better, than, than what I could get with a, with a Canon 5D 4, for example. I felt... And that wasn't a side-by-side -side test. That's just kind of being out in the field. But I always had trouble with puffins in flight, especially from a boat with my after, cannon. After seeing them today, that's <laughs> yeah. that's the ultimate challenge. <laughs> like, if you can get that, balls. it's a high five. <laughs> I got a f almost full frame, and I'm zooming in on the eye, and I'm like, it's sharp. My other concern was, especially for birds in flight, was that you're looking at basically a little TV monitor inside. You're not looking through the, the lens itself, and I thought that would be problematic. And I didn't find that to be problematic either. The fact I got a few cool keepers of puffins in flight from a boat i was thrilled with so i'm like okay <coughs> there was one concerned area that i had that i mm -hmm. probably thought it was going to be a trade-off that that i'm like oh no that might even be an advantage to mm -hmm. to the olympus so i'm still early in you know i've used it for two weeks and i haven't used the manual so i'm not but i would say at this stage i'm i'm switching whether i keep a cannon for aurora or something is is yet to be seen but i would say I've seen enough now to know I want this time machine feature and some of these other features alone and the flip monitor and the 
minimum focus distance is stupid in the size. I mean, all these things, I'm just like, I would have trouble. I had told Janine, I go, I'll never be able to sell that Canon F5. A 500 F4 is a beloved lens. It's beautiful. It's sharp. I love that. You know, it's a cost me a, more than my car, you know. I'm like, I'm going to have a hard time selling that. And I was partway through my trip, and I'm like, oh, it won't be quite so hard to sell now. <laughs> <laughs> I have that same lens, and I can't sell it either. And I never oh, use it. And I'm you know, like, yeah. what is this doing sitting here? I need to get rid of it. Right, right. It's eight grand in your pocket that you can do something else with probably exactly. or i don't know what what exactly you can't get tied to this equipment it's, just use it <laughs> yeah exactly so i'm excited it's it's been fun experimenting i'm lots to learn about it but the camera but the camera trapping to have noiseless camera i don't like the noiseless mode for the most part because i feel like i didn't even take a picture you know it's i don't have that that feedback you so know i'll try it i'm to. like did it take and like oh it did you know that's almost inefficient but man for camera trapping to not make a single bit of noise Mm-hmm. I mean, like, that's pretty. And then if I cover up the monitors, you can flip the LCD screen around and tape, gaffer tape over the lights. I mean, that thing would be, that thing would be stealthy. Stealth, stealth. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, wow, that would be a great tip. So you flip the monitor around so it doesn't activate. Yeah, that one, on that, on that thing, you can. Mm. You can flip it around, and I probably would have to put tape over the viewfinder. I haven't even tried any of that stuff, but it'd be easy sure. to, yeah, it'd Why be. Not? And you probably could turn that stuff off in settings. Probably. And I, that's yeah, the other true. thing. I found the menu setting. The menu system will not be that bad. When I had the Sony for a while, the menu drove me crazy. <laughs> I hate it. Yeah. I still don't know it. I, know, I never did get it down. I know. Where I found I the Olympus a uh, bit more intuitive. I've, I've been able to get around that. With I didn't have the manual. I had it on my iPad, but I, in the field, I was able to figure out most things. Every now and then, something would happen. Like, they have this clutch thing. It's not a switch for on the lens for manual focus. It's like a sl- sliding ring. And I would take my camera out of the out of the out of the bag, and I'm like, "Gosh, it won't focus! Darn it, what is wrong?" And then I, now I know it's like, "Oh, the clutch just slipped," and I just flip it back into autofocus. So there's these little things. There's nothing like knowing your camera inside and out, which is what I did with the Canon. You know, I knew I could do mm. it blindfolded, and I don't have that familiarity yet with the Olympus, which is two weeks frustrating that time. But it's two weeks in, so yeah. so it's maybe too premature to talk about it too much. But I certainly, I'm excited with 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 some of these features and. Certainly, we'll know. I'll know more down the road. Well, I think the big thing about you know this podcast today is just highlighting these technological advances. I mean, if it's not even annually, but every six months, something's coming out that's changing what we can do, the opportunities, and, and the results that we can collect. Right, and, uh-huh. and between the camera trapping, uh-huh. you know, that's very interesting and a skill that takes time to develop for so many reasons that you suggested. Uh-huh. But it creates something where you can control the environment and create an image exactly what you're hoping to with practice uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and in a way and remove yourself from the equation and get get images of animals that you wouldn't be able to in a blind uh-huh, uh-huh. even right even with a blind right even with a blind or nocturnal wildlife uh-huh. so i think that's very uh-huh. interesting and then these new mirrorless cameras what they keep coming out with uh-huh. and we talked two mornings ago i was like we have to do a podcast on <laughs> i this. know <laughs> so it's the point where you know for those of our audience that are into wildlife and nature photography this is changing so quickly and and the price points are coming down across the board. So it's easier to get into. And I think it's, it's great to have these podcasts with people like you who are trying it out and can uh-huh. share that firsthand experience. So. Yeah, good. I was thinking I didn't have any material for a podcast. And then we started uh. talking on the deck the other morning. I'm like, oh, we got to, I'm game. Yeah, why didn't <laughs> we start recording? Yeah, no, it was yeah. good. So. <laughs> no. Absolutely. It was no, I love it. I mean, that's how I bought that Sony was we were talking mirrorless with somebody else on, on the camera, you know, on the podcast uh-huh. and you know, give it a go because uh-huh. it is going all this stuff. So we were talking. What was uh, Charles Glatzer? Glatzer. Oh, right. 
Jazz. We had him on a podcast earlier, and I, I just threw it out there. I'm like, so, or maybe he just threw it up. Uh-huh. It doesn't matter. When is when are all the DSLRs gone? Right. And he's like, okay, do the math. 2020 is the next Olympics. He says, I doubt very seriously there'll be a DSLR after that. Mm-hmm. He thinks Canon may come out with another DSLR, but uh-huh. one. One more. But I've been using the 1DX Mark II for, I think I looked at my body the other day. It says 2013. Uh-huh. You know, I'll, I'll date them when I buy them just to know how old they are. So that's four years old. Right. For a body, that's, that's old. In today's world? Mm-hmm. That is super old. So the Canon rumor site had a statement, and usually they're close. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the statement was that they were going to come out with basically a 1DX version of mirrorless camera. Mm. So that's the, that's the next body. But they also said that they were going to come out with a 1DX Mark III, and nobody could understand why in the world they would release both of those at the same time. Mm-hmm. But that's the rumor, and it looks like that's the direction that everybody's going in you know, technologically is looking toward mirrorless technology because they see er- everybody's moving to it. Everybody that tries it, there's there are advantages to using it. And probably the biggest being the electronic viewfinder. Do you... Uh, what you see is you what you get. That? I love that. Right. Yeah. I can't, yeah, you I, can have I can't a live, wait for that day. <laughs> a live histogram in your viewfinder. I mean, there's so many different bits of information. You know, sometimes I turn that right. on, sometimes off. You get, yeah, what you see is what you get. You can have the histogram. You're not chimping your histogram later. I mean, I could go on and on all about all these little features. You know, and DSLR sales are way down. Way down. You know, yeah. and, and, of course, the big bulk of that stuff is like Canon Rebels and that, that lower end of, of sales. But you figure somebody like the, the Rebel customer four years ago that was going to spend $800 for a kit is getting great photos. You know, people ask me all the time, what camera should I get? I, I have a B&B. I want to get some pictures of this and that and some wildlife around there. And I'm like, just use your phone. You know, your iPhone or whatever phone you have is probably all you need, and you'll always have it with you. I mean, the phones have certainly – and they have also are kind of a precursor for the mirrorless. I mean, so many people are coming from the phone background that want something a little bit better. They're not looking – when they're like DSLR, it probably seems archaic to them. I'm like, really? You're looking through the lens Big. and a mirror's popping yep. up out of the way and this and that? I'm like, that, that doesn't – that doesn't even make sense to a young person today, probably, where a mirrorless mm-hmm. makes sense. It's like, okay, this is a bigger version of my phone camera. Yep. It's, we yep. use the phone all the time I for the podcast, behind uh-huh. the scenes, social media content. Uh-huh. And yeah, today, the phone was out today. probably a third of the time, the Osmo Pocket, the Osmo Action. I got smeared all over the story again because of the stupid phones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. That's why I have that little uh, phone uh, stabilizer. It was that last, last yeah. year at this time. You guys were talking about how quick and easy it is, and I went and bought one right after that. It's, it's it is the Osmo Mobile Two. Yep, the Osmo Mobile Two. That's yeah. what I have. That's I right. was I was surprised. You know, we were talking about mirrorless versus DSLR. I just saw a stat, and they based it on only on purchases that were made by or through Amazon. Mm. And DSLRs are still selling at seventy five percent, and mirrorless at twenty five percent of the market. But again, really? only on only on Amazon. That's the only. Although I would you have know, thought Amazon would trend more towards the lower end, maybe a more of a mirrorless, where well, say B and H would. But that's what I—that's what I think the issue is. is that people have come out with mirrorless cameras, but they've kind of placed them at the prosumer level, uh-huh. and so people are still buying the Rebels or still buying the Nikon thirty-five hundred 
series, uh-huh. you know, to as a starter option. So, you know, there are a lot of things. Statistically, you can make it look however you want, typically. But if you're only looking at one piece of the market, you are looking at those consumer-type cameras when you're talking about Amazon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, that, that part of it makes sense for me. But I've seen more and more mirrorless bodies out in the field, more people yep. going strictly to mirrorless. So I, I think that is skewed a bit. Yeah. Mm. On my workshops, I see a lot more Fujis. And, you know, it used to be what was my Canon Nikon makeup, you know. And since I shot mm-hmm. Canon, I typically had a few more Canon shooters than Nikon. But, and they would rouse each other. You know, nowadays, it's kind of like, okay, how many people are shooting a mirrorless of, of one form or another? If I have eight people, it's like two are going to be shooting mirrorless. And I bet mm-hmm. that grows. And you know what? If I start shooting a mirrorless, that's going to even grow more because I'm oh yeah, you're that gonna, kind of sure you know that kind of market. Or you're going to convince somebody or, to switch. Or switch. Yep. Yep. The only uh, thing I don't like about the mirrorless right now, mm-hmm. and you know, with using a Mark IV or the One DX Mark II, those things are bulletproof as far as yeah. weather and sand and dust. I don't think I don't know. I've never taken the Sony out in the rain or whatever but i would i don't have high hopes that it's gonna i mean i can leave my 1dx out in the rain for half an hour and it's gonna be fine yeah i don't know if this camera could do that i've had my 1ds series in pouring rain i remember it got all fogged up on the inside and i set it on the deck and i remember one time in cordova i got a cover of that fine silt mud i'm like how am i gonna ever clean it i took my water bottle and sprayed it off and it was fine and i would never do that with the mirrorless. Yeah, stuff. and I probably wouldn't even do that with the 5D series, which is not quite as waterproof right, either. Right, right, Which supposedly is one reason that the Canon didn't do the flip LCD screen because there's some compromise there when, when it comes to weather sealing. I don't know if that's true or not. So there's some... Could be. But I typic- I, would gr- I would agree with you. I'd, I certainly w- am going to baby this more than I, than, I, than I would with But it. it's easier to baby, right? Because yeah. you can put it in your jacket because yeah. it's not this huge... It's, it's a small. ...lens, yeah. Yeah, so... Do you find the small size awkward after going from the DSLR? This I've heard one that comment. Is big, it's actually a big camera. This one, the, the body I have now have, mm. comes with what's effectively a vertical grip okay. that has a couple batteries in it. So it's not a, it's not a small. It feels similar. Yeah. Okay. And, now, and now when I go to – now if I go to buy into the system, which I will, I'll probably have one of that body, and then I'll have one of the smaller one that doesn't have the vertical drip purely for the small form. And I'll be curious to see how that is. I think I'll get used to it. Mm-hmm. But the one now is not a trade-off. It's got the big vertical drip, and it's it feels like sure. it, it doesn't feel any different. Yeah, back button focus is kind of in the same spot as what I've always been used to. Some of the things I was worried about are are, are just oh boom, it's just it's dumped right into it. So yeah, yeah, the smaller one will be interesting to see, and I could. But man, some of the travel photography I do as well. You know, to be able to be light and lean, and you know, and not draw attention to yourself, and walk around. Las Vegas or someplace where you normally you're attracting security guards that are like, what are you doing? You know, here you could just, you know, you could just be quietly on a golf course. I've been kicked out of so many different places taking photos over the years that with this, you know, no <laughs> tripod, it's kind of nondescript, it's click, maybe no noise, grab a couple quick shots and be done. I mean. So, and just to elaborate on that quickly for our audience sake, you do a lot of travel photography. Yeah. And for a long time, I've worked with a lot of different travel magazines. Right. So I love right. the wildlife. I love any, I, people ask me, I photograph anything outdoors. Pretty much. So I, I'll do kayakers, adventure sports kind of stuff. Did a lot of travel stuff. Las Vegas was a big market for us. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we'd do trips and we'd include a national park and then usually work in Vegas. And we've sold pictures 
sure. in casinos and the airport and the hot, you know, so we've done a lot of that kind of stuff and I've also been kicked out of a lot that, of that's places. That's why I was elaborating. Yeah. I wanted the, our audience to know why you were filming yeah. in Vegas that way. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And of course doing did. night yeah, stuff, you get your, the, with a tripod and air, of course everything, everyone's, I don't know, they're all worried about. Right. It's amazing where security will show yeah. up, and I've scouted that place inside and out and have all these secret parking garages and different vantage points, and you think nobody's around, and then, you know, before you know it, there's a security guard. But uh, mm-hmm. so There's this probably thing, more cameras, oh. security cameras in Vegas than, well, I guess the, maybe New the, York and L.A., but that's yeah. rinks right up there, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's and watching. Somebody's watching all the time, everywhere. Yeah. So just that flexibility, you know, and just some, you know, um, Walk, yeah, so just, I mean, uh, yeah, it just, uh, it's kind of, it's some of the fun I get out of just using my iPhone right. because it's just always with me and easy and quick. You know, I'm finding some of that same fun with this thing, not quite to the same extent, but I'm like, gosh, I, this is easy to have with me and around my neck and it's quick and easy and it's fun and boom, boom, boom. It's, it has, it's a little bit iPhone-ish in that, in that right. kind of fun factor kind yeah. of thing. So It might man. grow to be comparable for you that way, you know, between the two, having both. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, eh, so I'm excited. And I'm really excited to combine that with, with camera trapping when I get down there this winter. Sure. That's uh, you know, with, the, with that silent mode and, and maybe this time machine mode, I call it, and some of these different things. That, and I think a lot of that, it's like as you start thinking about it, it's like you said with the camera trapping. That, you know, a lot of it, it's, so, it's such new technology. How do you apply it? There's probably a lot of things that I haven't even thought about that I'm like, oh, that, oh right. I could do that. Oh, I could right. do that. You know, it's like, uh, you know, that's easy to get like the shot with the balloon, with the with the arrow going through the balloon, that, those kinds of shots are, would be really mm-hmm. easy with that. And also shoots like some ridiculous shutter speed when in electronic mode, like 36 thousandth of a second. Or I, I forget that no, most cameras are limited to 8,000. And so if you want to stop hummingbird wings, you know, you have to use flash to get that super flash, that super short duration. This camera has that super short duration. If you had a bright enough sunny day, so you could even do... And you don't I need mean, the birds flash. without the flash, you can do, you know, again, you could use a time machine maybe. And I mean, there's, I think a lot of that is like, okay, here's some cool new technology. How, how else can I apply it? What else can you do? And I think people are going to start coming up with some pretty cool, some pretty cool ideas and some pretty cool, cool things. So I'm excited to be part of that too, experimenting. And it's a neat thing about being on our property. I'm kind of immersed in this beautiful wildlife location 24-7. So it's a chance to... You know, it's like, oh, that kind of worked. I wonder if I could do this. I could try that. I can, you know, so it's a great place to experiment and try different things. So, hmm. so when do you start your workshops? Uh, d- now, when we go to down the, there, down there, we, we go down in into no- November and then we usually start uh, open for business, so to speak, in January through April is mm-hmm. typically our season. And then it starts getting hot. April's nice. Even early May's nice. You start getting migrating birds coming through there. You get some beautiful birds, but they can be hit and miss a little bit. Um, and it's nice in Alaska then too, and it's starting to get hot there, especially in an RV can't be getting hot. So we always have the pole to come back here. So typically it's going to probably be January through April anyway. I kept watching your Instagram. It's like, oh, he just put up Arizona, but it's getting kind of late in the year. (laughs) When's he going to be in Alaska? (laughs) Two years in a row now we've had commitments down there in early May and we're like, oh, we might've stayed a little too, a little too long, but man, you know, like this last year in Arizona was wet. And so. Wildflowers are great, and then the cactus flowers are great, and the reptiles. I mean, we were seeing Gila monsters and tortoises and all this other stuff. So it's starting to get uncomfortably hot, but, but then there's all this other cool stuff, and then a lot of stuff at night. And, um, mm-hmm. So it's, you wanna be, I want to be everywhere, you know, because then it's like Alaska's beautiful in May and June, as you know, and I want to be here. And so uh, 
That's the problem. That is the problem. Want to be everywhere. But certainly <laughs> in January, we have to do a podcast, I think, from one of the photo blinds there. Well, we talked about days. it last time we did this podcast, and I definitely, this this winter we should. Yeah, Arizona it. would be, yeah. be a fun destination. Yeah, lots to do and see, and we could set up a camera trap. We could do some. Yeah, I'd love to learn more about that. Yeah, we could uh, do something fun. Well, tell us the where people can go to find out about these workshops. What's the best place? Your website? Wildandexposed.com. <laughs> yeah, you'll, yeah. you'll have links in the, the show link. notes. Yeah, links will be in the For show sure notes. we'll put there that all go. there. <laughs> but <laughs> I guess the yeah. the time of year, you just said August, yeah. or I mean April through... I January mean, through. January, January through April. Yeah. But is it like a weekly? Is it, it a... You can come for a night. You can come for... I'll do some workshops. So it's kind of the whole gamut. We always encourage people to come for two nights. Seems like people that come for one night and it's... Uh, they're just kind of getting everything figured out. Like if you're just coming to photograph birds one night, you, by the next morning you got it dialed in and it's time to leave. So we kind of encourage two nights. And it's not. It's under 200 bucks, I think, for one person to come, spend the night in the Airstream, and have exclusive use to all the blinds. So if, if you're self-sufficient on your own, it's not even very expensive. What do folks. you need to bring? Your, your camera and food. So we have a fire pit and a barbecue and a little Airstream with the fridge and all that kind of stuff. Um, then if you want to hire me to help out or do different things, you can, you know, you can – it, it gets a little more expensive, but uh, Desert Photo Retreat is what we call it and has a website. And then my Alaska stuff's under alaskaphototours.com. But yeah, so that's where, and then the summertime I do tours up here in Alaska. So and we only have a few minutes left, yeah, yeah. but can you just tell us what you're doing this summer? I mean, sure. you, what, what's going on up here in Alaska? Yeah, I just uh, finished uh, back to back. In fact, a lot of times I run to Michael. I did bear trips over in Lake Clark National Park, do couple photo tours over there every summer. I do a couple photo tours where I charter a, a really beautiful classic wooden yacht in southeast Alaska. So I, I charter the whole boat so I can we can kind of dictate where it goes and what we do and what we see. And so we go to bear viewing areas like Pack Creek, go to beautiful well viewing areas like uh, Frederick Sound. We go up to Tracy Arm. So I do two trips like that each summer as well. And those, those are usually pretty popular. Like next year, I think most of those are sold out but because they really are kind of popular. Um, so I leave Saturday to go do the second one of those, which I'm always excited to do. It's such a oh, beautiful, that's awesome. beautiful, Southeast Alaska is beautiful. Uh, Kenai Fjords is beautiful. And I mean, it's all, Alaska's just beautiful in the summertime. So I'm blessed to be able to offer a few workshops like that here. And then I'm do some of my own photography still, uh, still do, you know, a bit of that. I'm going to do a Katmai trip next summer, uh, at a Kodiak. So we're going to go over to Kodiak and do some scouting here in August, which will be fun. going to go check on our property in August as well. And then... I mean, some of these mountains, I always love to grab the backpack and go up in the mountains and do some landscape photography. And mm -hmm. if this, we've had a really un unseasonably hot summer with a lot of smoke. And so it's kind of really put a damper on landscape photography. But if that clears out of here, you know, in July with the wildflower and the fireweeds and stuff, I'm hoping to do a little bit of that. So Saturday, head off for another yacht trip in southeast, which is, which is always a blast. That's a, pretty awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would do a yacht trip every day. <laughs> <laughs> the food's pretty good, though. I would I, I would be huge if I did. <laughs> I'd be happy. I'd be happy, but huge. It's pretty easy not to work out on those, oh. right? Cause oh, you yeah, just you sit, don't. You just shoot and eat and yeah. shoot and eat. It's and like, oh, there's whales now. Oh, okay, I guess I better get up from the table and put my fork down and <laughs> <laughs> take some photos or get up from my nap. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's pretty... Uh, Soft adventure, so to speak, but, well, but cool adventure. It's yeah. awesome to catch up with you. Likewise. Well, I'm glad you guys, I'm glad this worked out. 
Yeah, me too. Because when we talked yeah. before, I was like, oh, we're going to be here on these days. And you thought you might be in Kodiak. I was going to be in Kodiak. Yeah. And we ended up canceling and rescheduling for August. So I'm glad that Mark just happened to be passing by the house. Because I, I, I totally forgot you guys are going to be down. And I'm yeah. like, oh, that's right. We are around now. So this well, is perfect for me. Yeah. Good. Always well, get good to cut caught up. Yeah. Well, cool. And I definitely want to show up in Arizona. Yeah, good. It would be. I'll, I'll have a lot more uh, insight then. Maybe well, I'll be doing some new stuff with camera trapping yeah. to talk about. Well, just that technology yeah. is fun. Yeah. If we could play with triggers, I mean, because it all sounds really fun, but it, the learning curve to me just, I've got so much going on already. It's right. Like, uh, How much I time? I learn something else. I know. I know. That's oh, why yeah. it's worth going to see Ron. <laughs> mm-hmm. Spend a couple of days. Get you all dialed yeah, in. Up to speed, dialed in, ready to to do your races on, at your own place. I've had some people, and one out of Washington in particular, that, but I've had some people that have done that then, and now I've got the equipment, and they have remote property or a cabin or something, and it's cool now to get emails. You know, at first it was like, I'm getting nothing. I'm going to get in the mouse here and there. And the other day what, I got an email. It's like, I got a deer finally, and I know that there's bobcats in the area, so it's rewarding for me to kind of see people going out and right flying on. it and doing it and getting cool stuff because, now with the cameras out there working 24-7, I mean, they don't, they don't fall asleep or daydream or they don't they don't miss the shot that that, that I can. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's good. That is that's true. <laughs> They're you, always paying attention. You post this on your Instagram as well, right? Yeah, which, yeah. Which is knee bruggy, which is probably easy for everybody to spell. <laughs> and well, the link the link so will be in the show notes. Okay, there you go. N-I-E, no worries. But knee bruggy, yep. yep. It'll all be there for yep. everybody. Spell to it find. out for us on the on the knee bruggy. Yeah, N I E B R U G G E. And I actually have a second Instagram that's Desert Photo Retreat. I think it's, I, I don't know if it's all one word or not. And that's where I do the Arizona stuff. So I typically do more, like a lot of times I'll put trail cam photos on that. And it's only typically active in the wintertime. It doesn't have a near the, the followers, but it's still mm-hmm. kind of some fun yeah. desert-specific content. So it's Desert Photo Retreat, and I forget if there's dashes in there or not, but if you just searched it on Instagram, it'd pop up. Yeah, or follow the show notes. It'll Go to the be, show notes. It'll be in the button. show notes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so cool. Well, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, you bet. It's been fun. That's a treat. Yeah, well, I hope to get very, it again. Very informative. Thanks, guys. You know, it's a whole different subject area, and, and one that's exciting and, and trending. Both of these subjects were today, so thanks for taking the time. I hope that you've enjoyed our podcast today. I want to take a moment and ask you, no matter which podcast platform you're listening to us on or on YouTube, make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button and to give us a positive review, five-star rating or a thumbs up as those help us to do what we love to do and to bring you this podcast on a weekly basis. Also, I want to take a moment to thank Missy McKenzie, our producer, for her talented and hard work behind the scenes to bring this podcast to you for your listening enjoyment. You can find more of this team's work on our Instagram, Facebook, on our YouTube channel, and at wildandexposed.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.